0: of the Living Dead. I am Damon Martin. And I'm Patrick Guerra.
1: And Patrick, this week we have a special edition to the podcast and actually a first for Mm -hmm. us. We're actually going to be interviewing somebody on the podcast, something we've talked about doing for a very long time. Obviously, we are primarily a review show. Uh, That's what we do. We give you the best reviews for any horror movie from the past, present, uh, and eventually into the future. Uh, But this week we're actually going to be talking to a creator behind a new horror movie. Um, You know, we're about at the halfway to
0: 100 mark with uh, the Rewind the Living Dead podcast. And ever since we brainstormed this way back in July of 2020, we wanted to have sit down interviews. So we're super excited to bring you our first uh, Alex Noyer. Director of a, a movie that is out now on demand called Sound of Violence. Um, we, I think, I think Damon, you can agree with me that we've learned through this podcast that new filmmakers are actually making horror that is sort of changing the game. That is showing us something new. Of course, we came into this as fans of the, of the, our great love of '80s slasher films and 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 zombie films and all these films that um, they sort. Of, I don't want to say they are tropey, but they have a pattern to them. It's great to see something that is done left field. I think Sound of Violence does that. Um, it, this is not going to be a review show. We're not going to review the movie. Um, we did very graciously get a screener from Alex Noyer, Um, But we, we were excited to talk to an emerging horror filmmaker. So you're going to get an interview that's filmmaker-centric. Um, that talks a lot about the process and gets into the mind of the people that are going to be carrying horror into the 2020s and beyond.
1: Yeah, and Alex uh, Alex is a new mind. He did a a great documentary called 808 on the uh, the Roland drum machine. You can check that. I believe it's on Apple TV, on Apple Music. Uh, You can watch that. I actually watched that before, not realizing it was the same guy who ended up making the movie Sound of Violence. Uh, So he's a documentarian before this, and now he's getting into movie making. Uh, He was the writer and director Behind this film, it's a it's a well casted film. It's got uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown, who you probably know from The Leftover. She was fantastic in that. It's also got Lily Simmons, uh, who was in Banshee and True Detective, uh, and James Jagger, who was in the HBO show Vinyl, uh, a show that I believe was canceled too soon. Uh, he was fantastic in that. So it's got a great cast, and uh, and we talked to Alex about his his method and, and, and the methods of the madness of making this movie, uh, his ideas behind it, and how he actually made this movie. Uh, so we hope you enjoy this interview we'll be back with more uh reviews and more uh regular uh versions of rewind of the living dead uh coming up later this week but for now let's talk to the great alex noyer about his new movie available everywhere now sound of violence we are joined today by the writer and director of a new film that just dropped this friday the sound of violence. And we are joined to be by the writer and director today, Alex Noyer. And I didn't screw up your name. I had that in the back of my head. So I made sure I didn't do that. (laughs) Uh, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. So uh, Alex, obviously the film is out now. Uh, We've both seen it. Uh, I don't know. You tell me, obviously you've done a lot of documentary work in the past but how are the nerves when you got a movie coming out like this day one? Like, are you nervous? Are you excited? Like, how do you react to that, uh, that kind of moment?
2: Uh, it's actually more nervous. Cause you know, before when it was releasing as a producer, you're kind of pragmatic about it. And, 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 uh, but when it's something you wrote and directed, it's like, it's like waiting for your, 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 your child's, Exam results, you know, just like you want to know if they, if they got into college. It's uh, <laughs> um, so it's um, yeah, it's an interesting uh, roller coaster. But uh, but so far, the response has been mostly positive. So we're, we're we're excited.
1: Yeah. Let me backtrack a little bit because I was doing some research ahead of doing this, because one thing I, I really loved about Sound of Violence was and I, I say this on our podcast all the time. I love unique horror stories, things that don't feel like something I've ever seen before. And this felt like something I had never seen before, an idea I'd never heard before. Um, and I know you did a documentary on the the Roland drum machine, which I was fascinated by that. And I think I actually saw that because I remember being on Apple Music and I think I saw that a couple of years ago. Um, it sounds like, because I know you went from there and then you did the short and then you did Sound of Violence. Uh, can I imagine it sounds like, like sound, like audio has been a, a big part of your life for the last few years? I mean,
2: actually, it's more like, artistry broadly, because like, you know, I started off with documentary about painters uh, with Julian Schnabel and Peter Halley and a few. And my first, the first feature I produced and wrote was New York Influence City about the New York art scene. Then it went into music with 808 and, you know, it was, it was just like kind of, it got me more focused on music. But then when I came out of it, I tried to kind of capitalize on all of it. The music part was obviously the driving force. Um, especially drum machine. Clearly, I was drum machine obsessed. I mean, I had committed five years of my life to producing 808. So, you know, I couldn't just say, well, that's it, I'm done with drum machines now. So this is where I had the idea of killing somebody with a drum machine, which is uh, what my short, um, my short in short is, is, uh, is uh, just an experimentation of of transferring uh a drum machine into a horror context but then um but then when i moved into uh developing the feature i capitalized on all the music journey that i had and my love for music production but also as i said the broad um artistic journey all those artists i i spoken to through the years also my father's an artist my grandfather's an artist none of them are murderers (laughs) as far as i know but uh, but uh, yeah, so it just like it was interesting. The music focus was definitely out of 808 and, and in, uh, shifting from producer to director, I, I carried on there, but broadly the artistic journey seems to have always been a big focus of mine.
0: Now, with, uh, with art in general I mean, and transitioning that into film is a, is a rather easy uh, you know, s- step, but why choose horror, right? You, you said, oh, we can kill somebody with a drum machine. Well, that that takes a certain frame of mind. Where do you how do you get into how do you get into that frame of mind rather than just making a movie about this specific condition where she can see sound? You could have just kind of gone in the drama route. What what made you choose the horror route specifically? Because I love horror. (laughs) (laughs) Where did that start? So talk about where because we Damon and I have documented uh, how how horror started for us. Where does horror start for Alex in the timeline?
2: Well, uh, little Alex was nine years old and he saw Night of the Living Dead and his world changed. It was a moment to see not only just a completely unexpected setting, but, but a, you know, it was convincing and spooky and unlike anything I had watched uh, thus far. And and that's it. I was I was really into horror from then on. I watched Evil Dead soon after, like late. I can't remember if I was nine or ten. By then, and I was like, oh, now we can also go crazy. So I just, you know, those two movies really kind of buckled me down and, and sent me into the into hyperdrive uh, into horror. Um, after that, I needed to see everything after that. I needed to see, you know, the fly chopping mall, uh, you know, nightmare on Elm street, Friday the 13th, everything, Hellraiser. I didn't care. Um, my friends thought I was a lunatic because I tried to sit them down to, to watch those movies at that age. And they were like, eh,
1: this is weird.
2: <laughs> um, and, um, and actually a funny story. Um, at the time I, I was in Paris, I grew up in Paris. I, um, I, uh, I was enrolled in the, in the Boy Scouts. Now, I was not much Boy Scout material. Well, I, I think it was more proven because I, uh, there was, you, you go camping for a weekend and I got kicked out of the weekend because I brought an inappropriate magazine. Now, what kind of inappropriate magazine? It was called Mad Movies, which is a French equivalent of Fangoria. And that <laughs> got me kicked out of the Boy Scouts. They called my dad and said, your, your, your son brought an inappropriate magazine to the camp. And so my dad say, like, "Oh, damn it! What did he bring?" And and he, and and he arrives there, and they hand him uh, this magazine which had, uh, Freddy Krueger was on the cover, and I I distinctly remember as well which one. And uh, my dad looked at them, going, "Huh."
0: yeah yeah. he's like a 12 year old kid what are
2: you what's the problem (laughs) he's watching it's a horror magazine yeah but it's really really bloody in there it's like well you know that's what he likes um so anyway i've always been into horror and yeah i i started my my production company in london in 2004 and we were focused on commercials music videos lifestyle brand everything we were we were really trying to focus on the on on advertising marketing and all sorts of things but then in 2008 i got into documentaries and i tapped into my my background with art to, to follow that route. But meanwhile, I'm watching horror movies every time they come out, no matter what they are, buying the, 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 the you know, it, all the way back to buying VHS to, to DVDs, to Blu-rays, to online. And, and I just never stopped loving it. And, and frankly, after 808, I was exhausted. Um, I had a bit of a fatigue as far as making documentaries. And my wife, my wonderful wife, uh, said to me, you really need to shift into your first love Horror movies, and so she's the reason I kind of refocused my career uh, from documentary to 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 fiction, but also specifically uh, into genre films. Now it doesn't mean that I'm going to make genre film forever, but I it, it came to me naturally, and then you know I was developing a few stories, and and as mentioned, I had this light bulb moment of, of capitalizing on five years working on a drum machine story to then killing somebody with a drum machine, and then creating. Uh, A horror musical musician, a musical artist uh, with a crazy journey um, into Sound of Violence. How uh,
1: how was it transitioning from documentary work into into directing and writing your own horror film? Because that's an interesting transition because. I know when you do a documentary, you have to be really passionate about the subject matter. I mean, that's a big part of documentary documentary work is you have to be truly passionate about what you're you're covering and, and doing. And that I think I read somewhere. that was like a five year journey for you to do 808. So to come out of that, like, was it fun? Was it was it weird to go? Because that because documentary to feature, that's a that's a yeah, you're filming two things, but that's two different worlds. It is. But, you know,
2: I needed a big change. Um and um, with 808, I had already shifted from London to Los Angeles. I was really pushing for, um, for a broader use of my production company to make different kinds of films. And frankly, initially my interest in making horror movies was as a producer. So it was not the idea of, 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 of necessarily ruling out documentaries, but it's just, now I, I want to produce fiction as well. And, um, and that development, but then in the development, I started to write the stories and as writing the stories, the people I was talking to said that told me that I write very visually and therefore that I'm, I seem to be writing and directing at the same time. And that means maybe I should consider directing, um, uh, you know, the stories and, and, and I was really unsure. I was really certain, especially like I, you know, I didn't feel necessarily I had the skills. I knew how to work with directors and champion them, but being one was a different story. But the motivation of, of horror was obviously that I know horror very well. I, you know, I basked in, in, in horror greatness by watching all those movies throughout my life, watching and re-watching and re-watching them and watching movies that nobody's ever heard of, just for fun. And, and I guess this is one of the great genre that, has, um, that really benefit from its legacy meaning that becoming a horror filmmaker when you're a horror fan is possible um, and now obviously I knew production I knew I knew you know how to move, move around the set and all that but but still become shifting to storyteller it was good for me to be in a realm that I personally knew stories that I understood um, uh, connecting points if you will that that, that made sense to me so um, perhaps, because the writing I did in documentaries was more editorial, right? I was, I was running interviews. I was, um, you know, it was research interviews and guiding in uh, a, a more of an editorial narrative. Whereas here I was telling stories. And, uh, and again, I think it's a, it was maybe as a documentarian, I, I, I learned a bit about storytelling and and about, you know, it definitely inspired me some of the stories I heard around. Um, so I don't know. You know, I I say often that my my journey into a horror is about exacerbating reality to its worst outcome. So I guess maybe that's a way to to link it to the reality of documentaries.
0: Without uh, spoiling anything uh, for the film, because we want people to go and rush out and check it out, um, this is very much. I think I think it's safe to say there's a a, a very psychological approach. Uh, to the horror aspect of this film. You can you can take horror in so many directions. It's a really pliable medium, uh, a pliable storytelling medium. Um, talk about translating psychological effects into a, a visual storytelling medium like that, because I think that's one of the trickier things to do in horror and to do well.
2: Um, it's very, very tricky, because you have to respect um what you're addressing like obviously we had we had very serious topics in there A um, father coming back with PTSD a child who has lost her hearing as a you know in an accident earlier witnesses a traumatic event regains that is threatened throughout her life to lose it again all those dimensions we had to explore um, with with respect and with consultants meaning we spoke to people who Um, understood it much better than we could. So that when our rendition um, came out, it was as authentic as it could be. And interestingly, actually, in in the feedback that we get, some people say that we are, we didn't go far enough into representing it. And I feel sometimes that's because people expect a over-the-top representation rather than trying to stay grounded as far as the, 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 the trauma, the lingering trauma that lives through Alexis. And so we chose to just ask questions to people who knew better. And then when we create the crazy horror framework around it, we never want to be disrespectful. We want to make sure that they coexist. Sometimes it means that there's a slight disconnect between both and I completely assume that, but it's also because because we just didn't want to, we, we just wanted to do justice to the, to the information we got. For example, you know, Going through um, understanding the situation of a little girl who has lost her hearing was a very important uh, mindset to understand because it's very different than, for example, if she had been born deaf. So first of all, addressing it as loss of hearing, not deafness, um, the fact that her, um, she, she signs and speaks because uh, she's used to speaking, but the, sign, the signing allows to con- the continuous flow of conversation also, the mistakes she made are normal because she has not been signing her whole life. All those, all those details that seem, you know, small details, very important to us to get right. And so overall, in the psychological framework, we just had to make sure, as as far as we could be, while we are a very experimental bonkers movie that just is supposed to be a thrill ride, that at least our, our psychological framework was set right. Um, after that, there are there are there are things that are Obviously exacerbated as I uh, to, to as as mentioned, exacerbated to their worst outcome because that artistic drive that capitalized on that trauma, that is where I have a more of a free hand. Now I can go she 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 needs to take it that far. And that's why we had this very important scene early on uh, with the Dominatrix that just doesn't do enough for her. And so it's 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 not um, a question of just pushing for pushing sake. It's just the idea that the the natural impetus of an artist is to create and destroy at the same time, um, and um, and at all costs. And and you know, if you're around artists, you see that they have a vision and they will just go go with it. And and I just put that in a framework that involves loss of life in a very very over the top crazy way. Um, so I, you know. I don't know if I if I did the full psychological job uh, perfectly, but I know that that uh, that at least we did the best we could with with the information we were we were provided, and 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 I feel very content that we've done our due diligence.
0: And I think uh, before we move on, I really do think that this is why I think the last decade of horror has really upped its game is because of authenticity, is because it's the essential. filmmakers and the storytellers bother to actually talk to the people that have the conditions, because what we got a lot of in the seventies and eighties, and even in some, some, some still in the nineties was things that didn't necessarily age. Well, mm-hmm. that, that, that are a bit cringy because the filmmakers just made a lot of assumptions about people going through a certain amount of trauma. When a storyteller comes in and says, no, let's talk to the people who suffer these traumas and understand them better and represent them. Well, that, that movie will have a lasting ability, that a lasting impression on audiences, and it will age far better than uh, the horror of the past that we do. Of course, we all love, and, and some of them are guilty pleasures, but that is that is key, what you're talking about, is getting into the research and making the characters authentic. So I appreciate that.
2: Because the information is available as well. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's available information, and also um, I... You know, I wrote a story and it came to me the way it did. And the character is a queer black woman. i'm I'm the one writing this. How do I bring authenticity? I collaborate. I collaborate with a fantastic, fantastic person called Jasmine Savoy Brown, who herself is a queer black woman. She identifies as such. And therefore, I wrote it with enough open questions so that she could meet me there. And we could together craft as well authenticity in that because, um, you know, it's one thing for me to take to, to to take creative liberties and to make choices for my character, but in the casting we had to be to 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 match it as well, and and that's why you know I'm I'm eternally grateful to, to Jasmine because she told me well the first time we met she told me she appreciated the role because she she felt that it it it, it allowed for representation. But also, she appreciated that I stayed away from cliches, and that's what I mean by keeping it with open mind and open questions, so that she could then complete the, the 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 persona of the character. And frankly, we make it sound really serious right now. It's also so much fun because collaborating with with people who want you to do as well as you can, who will never let you let the character down. is amazing. I mean,
0: yeah, they bring the ideas in and it, and it adds to everything.
2: Absolutely. And, and that's why Jasmine's performance is, you know, jumps out of the screen and she is a force to be reckoned with.
1: Let me, uh, I, I was going to ask you about synesthesia, which I thought was a really fascinating part of it, but I'll come back to that. You mentioned Jasmine Savoy Brown. I've had a chance to interview her before when she was on the leftovers, Absolutely love the leftovers. Absolutely love her. She was a fantastic interview. I had such a blast talking to her a couple years ago. Uh, when I initially was talking about doing this interview, and I looked up your movie, I was like, "Oh, Jasmine Savoy Brown." I was immediately hooked before I even saw the movie because I absolutely adore her. Uh, how did you? How did you connect with her? And and it sounds like she ended up being a major part of the what we actually saw on screen in terms of the movie. She ended up being a major player in what we actually saw out of Alexis as a character. And.
2: Uh, and she is; <laughs> she still is. I still, I still texted her. You know, you know, in the emotional roller coaster that we have living, leading up to release, I texted her and said, "Thank you, thank you for 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 bringing Alexis like that." Um, she so uh, our casting director Amy Renee um, uh, really took uh, uh, felt what felt like a stake into the film. She really wanted us to get it right. Um, she loved the story, and she knew that if we got Um, the casting wrong, this movie would not be taken um, for all it offers. So we we had a very good conversation and she mentioned Jasmine. And I was like, that's a great idea. Like you, I had seen her in The Leftovers and I loved her in The Leftovers. I loved The Leftovers altogether. It was an amazing show that was very unlike anything else and completely had me uh, hooked all the way through. But she, her character stood out from the moment she appears at the beginning of season two. It, that's it. You, 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 want to know what happens to her. And then when, uh, and so we sent the script, there was interest. And then we got to meet. Um, now we, J- Jasmine and I often joke about who was more nervous that day. And I can guarantee you it was me. <laughs> um, because I felt that I was very aware of, uh, Jasmine's activism. I was very aware of her storytelling, the messages she puts out in the world to make sure that that movies are do better in representation or more authentic and such. So I felt that if Jasmine were willing to take on such a project, it would definitely um, help bring that authenticity that we just talked about. And when we spoke, it was incredible. She, um, she had a grasp of the role after reading it just a couple of times that was spot on. She also had immediately set out a little bit of a challenge to me to make sure that I delivered upon, uh, dare I say, her expectations because she wanted Alexis to be a new type of, of um, killer that the horror genre had never met. And I was very excited about it because that's what I wrote. <laughs> and. Um, and so at the end of this meeting, I really had felt that I had met Alexis and, and I had felt that working with uh, Jasmine was going to be, um, the perfect creative challenge that I needed for my future directorial debut. And she pushed me all the way through. We worked together on the lines to make sure they sounded better because I'm not a native American, uh, native, uh, uh, English speaker. Sorry. And, um, and therefore my formulation in, in dialogues for, for native English speakers, is somehow, sometimes slightly off. So um, so that work I did with with Jasmine, with Lily, and with James to make sure all the lines felt better. Um, but yeah, dude, Jasmine, uh, Jasmine and I uh, worked on it pretty much at the end of every shoot day uh, to make sure it sounded right. Um, so she's a massive influence on this movie, not just by her performance, but just overall.
1: That's well she does the, yeah. the uh, right. I mean the chemistry that they had, like the cause what I loved about Alexis as a character is how many layers there were to it because it wasn't just this, you know, it wasn't a killer persona, and as I said, what makes this movie so original beyond the audio part of it, which I which I loved but uh there's a lot of layers to Alexis as a character because obviously she's dealing with the potential loss we're hearing again, which is traumatic on top of the trauma she suffered as a child she's obviously very much into her work with, with audio. And then she kind of finds a different vibe. Like when we watch the scene, you mentioned with the dominatrix, like there's a, there's a certain vibe she gains in that moment. And then there's the relationship with her and Lily Simmons character that, you know, where she has feelings one way and they're not necessarily reciprocated. And so that creates a whole other dynamic. Like she's a very, very multi-layered character.
2: And that's why it's important to, to, to remember that she's not a psychopath she's more akin to a sociopath um because she has this emotional um baggage like it's it's a constant she has a relationship with her emotions you know it's not the 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 psychopath that has that feels no empathy for anything but she is very much about like many artists they're very focused on their own journey and there's a there's a relationship um between um, between Alexis and Marie, that is very akin to the stories of, of artists and their muse, and um, and it's just important to um, follow her, and that's why also I decided to follow Alexis, you know, follow the villain because she's an artist, and we're following her process, and we follow the the often creativity is described as as a bit of a neurosis, right? That like you, <laughs> it's inner conflict with conflict with the outside world, with disassoci- disassociation of perceptions. It's its a whole bunch of things. And so by staying with her, I'm trying to get the audience, not necessarily to forgive her because I doubt anybody will, but to try to understand her and to take a journey that makes them deeply uncomfortable because this is not, they, they, they keep trying to want to stop her, but they're just sat in their seat watching her and they, and they are witnessing it all. Um, and the relationships, and, they, and I want the audience to live that relationship b- between Alexis and, and Marie, because you know, there's an urge that we feel when we watch it. Um, the same way as there's moments where we tap along to the music and we don't know why. <laughs> it's just that I'm trying to, to really bring the audience along to the emotional uh, journey journey, sorry that, uh, that um, uh, Alexis uh, is you know, going through throughout the movie.
0: Well it's important too in you know in in horror um titillation is is just as much a part of of why we enjoy it right so if you can get into the mind and that's a tricky thing to do but if you can get into the mind of our killer quote you know however you want to play it out um the effectiveness I think is stronger overall so i I think you really achieved something there okay. um on the note of of you know creative challenges. We, we talk on the show all all about uh, all the time about dread being probably the most important element of horror. Now it comes, dread comes in all shapes and sizes. It doesn't, it doesn't fit in the exact uh, uh, perfect box. So our, our, when you're on set, you know, obviously you have, you have the script, but, but the challenges kind of continue to arise as, as, as a production comes uh, comes together, how to use the director slash storyteller Keep your version of dread going, because because you, it can easily fall away. It's very it's very easy for that to fall away because you're just trying to get the shots. You're trying to make your day. So how do you how do you as as the as the helmer of the story go? I, I need to make sure that we we keep this this note, if you will. I just shout at people for all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, quite the opposite. I actually just make sure that everybody's very much aware um of the of the 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 moments the mood um you know the set on a a movie like this it's a living organism so we all you know we all be we we all uh beat to the same heartbeat if you will um and so by maintaining harmony on set i believe that we can make sure the division is never lost because we are building every shot for purpose um, when dread is not, uh, the fear of anticipation, but more of a, of a, of a uncomfortable feeling that has peaks of disgust and peaks of emotion and stuff. We, we just make sure that we, yeah, that the whole set, um, is, is, um, on board. I, I you know, this is where I'm so grateful to my crew is, is the, 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 the the buy-in to the story—the fact that everybody who was working on this movie really bought into the story—they really felt part of it, and they felt a, a component of it. And you know, I'm talking obviously about my, my cinematographer Daphne Kimu, who's wonderful, and she understood the visuals that, that, that we were trying to achieve together. Um, you know, my producing partner Hanu yeah, the composers Yako, Yako, Alexander, and Omar. Uh, I mean, the whole camera crew, everybody, everybody felt it. And I can tell you that we had many uh, moments on set where emotions were charged by, by, by the performance. And I'll tell you, like, for example, when we filmed the the, the family scene, the dining table was a, was a very tricky scene to film because the dynamic was tricky. Uh, the space was a little bit awkward and we were just like kind of work, work. but there's a moment where I was just like, I, I felt that um, Camilla and, and, again, future superstar, Kamiya, Kamiya Benguil who plays young Alexis. I felt that she needed continuity a little bit more. Um, and that she wanted to push the scene herself. And we're talking about a 10 year old actor, but she wanted to, she was like, no, no, no. And, and so I was there, you know, and I'm a father of two daughters. So it's like really hard for me, but just pushing her and by that, I, I pushed um, Wes McGee, who plays the father, Barry, and Dana, who plays the mother. And, and I, we had this moment where we were just like, it was kind of a moving machine that was gaining momentum, gaining momentum, gaining momentum, all based on the energy of this fantastic, super talented young actress. And, and when we were done, and we actually ended up using that shot in the movie, a moment where he hits the table... I can tell you, after that, I, I waited a good 10 seconds to cut, and there was a silence throughout the set. And not only that, I could tell I had the focus puller had tears in his eyes. I had the cameraman, everybody, I had tears in my eyes. I was just like that moment, and I could sense like the emotion was palpable around the whole set, like like a moment like we all need to take a moment now. and. That's that's how we managed to continue and you know to create moments. When you have your whole crew willing to commit themselves psychologically into the story, it's going to help the performance because it feeds the actors. And, and you know, and similarly um, in the gallery scene, I can tell you that that the energy was very different. Uh, but but the the practical part, uh, the practical effects part, was something that I'm very 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 peculiar about, and and I'm very lucky to have. Uh, somebody who I nicknamed my blood wizard, uh, Robert Bravo, to to work with me because he understands how much of a perfectionist I am when it comes to blood and to to the way it has to go. And so that specific scene, without getting into spoilers, we pushed it. We kept going, kept going, kept going. Members of crew, of the crew were feeling queasy. This is how far we kept going. And he was just like, da, da, da. And, and this scene works again. First of all, big shout out to Tara because she, she is in the, at the core of that scene, and her performance is like. And, and we kept like, okay, do you want us to stop? We can, we can, we can take a break and everything. Nope. And this is how lucky I am. It's just like everybody on the set, in front and behind the camera, were just we would not give up um, the 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 delivery uh, of a scene for for timing. And we were we still finished on time every day. I think we had like you know maybe an hour here and there on on some days but overall we finished it was a tight 20-day shoot and and we managed to do all that i'm i'm so proud of everybody
1: i'm not going to spoil anything but the uh the gallery scene i'm currently rubbing my fingers together because they're hurting as i think about that particular (laughs) scene in the gallery um let me ask you this alex because you know sound and and music is such a big part of this film uh, I'm a uh, you know I, I ran a music store in college. I'm a huge music fan. I love music uh, and I love sounds. I you know worked with audio engineers at radio stations so i I am a fan of of that and so bringing that into a movie as I said earlier, so original such an original idea to do it and Thank do you. it. but I'm curious your influences in that way because I want to bring up one particular scene in the classroom doesn't spoil anything but when Alexis is asked to play something for her class, she plays sounds. Now, I mean this as a compliment, and I hope you don't take offense to this. But I listened to it, and I was like, "This sounds like something Trent Reznor would write, like Nine Inch Nails." Like I was like, "Thank you." Thank I you. was like, "This." How, was literally, how can I take that badly? As soon as <laughs> I exactly. as soon as I heard, it, I wanted to put on my Downward Spiral album. I was like, "Ooh, this sounds like something Trent Reznor would write." Like I was immediately hooked. Uh, listen, you just I, I actually
2: use Trent Reznor. <laughs> As as a reason, like, that scene, yeah, just, it's industrial. It's supposed to, yeah, just ima- imagine Trent Reznor singing on that. <laughs> In fact, I would love Trent Reznor to watch this movie. I would be so interested to hear what he thinks about it. Uh, because yep. b- because it's, uh, you know, the, the musical influences, um, I mean, you mentioned Nine Inch Nails, but I'll give you as well, Apex um, Twin, um, Massive Attack, we we delved into even even more more the poppy side was more like a basement Jackson kind of thing. We we kind of re really broadened the sort of breakbeat to um, to alternative roots, and and you know it just the music is important, and this is why you know it took as well. And Yakamanin uh, Maninenda, our lead composer, who also uh, composed the music to the short, um, was really up for the whole experiment, like it's a huge experimental endeavor with, you know, I'm not a musician. I'm a music fan and I know music. I was, I was a DJ. Once upon a time, I was not a very good DJ. I knew, I knew music, but my technique kind of sucked.
1: Uh,
2: (laughs) But uh, the fact is, is like I came with like an open-minded, slightly perhaps naive musical challenge and Yakko from the short onwards took it up as like, hell yes, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to try. And I said, okay, well, you know, now the instrument is a weapon and the flesh is the music and how do we do this? And, and, you know, there's always moments where he stops looks at me like I'm possessed and, uh, and then we continue Um, (laughs) because, because I am definitely possessed, (laughs) but no, really like also uh, Alexander Burke, who's an instrumentalist really allowed me because when I came with ideas, because obviously the short was focused on drum machine, which has, a very logical sense of violence because it's beats and the, the range is you know kind of i'm not going to say self-explanatory but there's a sense of like you know with the 11 bit uh, the 11 bits um beats sorry and sounds of the 808 for example you have range that can that have different levels of violence but then when you delve into other instruments it was a challenge and i was experimenting with crazy ideas some didn't make it some made it some might make it differently uh, in the future but I feel that um, having then Alexander, who was folk, who understood, you know, who was more classically trained and had like a, was an instrumentalist, he allowed me to actually understand that. And he worked with Yako to really work the, the the music production to the the use of the instruments, and we then transfer that into um, into the scenes to make them um, choreographed in a way that that actually is. Consistent with the way the instruments are played, um, and then we brought uh, Omar Al-Deeb, uh, who is a score composer, who allowed us because we we wanted to have the music, the focal point of po- music, to be at a certain point, it's the same music that the the characters and the audience are hearing, and so we we go we weave in and out of this being with the audience, being with the with the characters, you know, going from energetic, score-
0: non-diagetic.
2: Yeah. exactly from, from score to, from score to, 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 to story track. And, and that was very interesting. So it took that. And then finally big shout out to UC Tegelman, who is a, our senior uh, sound mixer and designer um, who works with Sam Raimi and, um, and he's a fellow Finn. Uh, we have a whole bunch of Finn uh, involved in this, in this uh, movie and um, you know, understands the, the mixture He's a musician as well. So that helped. And, and so we could work with a, with a sense of how to bring, to really mix um, Foley, uh, uh, sound effects, um, and, and music all together to create a sort of multi layered uh, musical production that, that um, will get the audience. If, if at any point the visuals are too harsh and they close their eyes, I'll, I'll get them with the sounds. That sounds rather. Rather sinister, Alex. Yeah. I, hope, I, I, I hope the noise behind me.
0: Are not... No, no. Um, um, on, on that on that note, Alex, sound of violence is not just a snappy name for a film. I mean, sound and violence coincide essentially throughout the entire theme of the film. So, I'm curious how much of what was on the page on the, in the script in terms of the moments right I'm not going to give anything away but those very specific moments that happen throughout the film that merge sound and violence how much of what was on the page was actually able to come to fruition that's a different thing a lot of people don't and we've talked about this on the show where sometimes you might see the the, the filmmakers uh you, you go oh maybe this didn't this something seems different something seems strange here and it's usually because during production you realize what happened on the page is not going to be able to happen as much as we might want to. It's not going to happen on on set. So, wh- how how much translation from script to screen was there for those sound of violence moments?
2: I would say that uh, what we managed to do was better than what was on the page. Great. Um, the the page were pretty clear about what was achieved. Uh, there was a version of the script that was also very detailed as the gore and. I chopped off twenty-four pages of gore at one point, and and I really me- focused then on the on the character developments and the rest. But as far as the musicality of stuff, I, I I'm very sort of procedural and and detailed, and once in a while I get lost in descriptions. So I had to strip it back into this is what happened and sort of general gists of you know this is this is the dynamic of the of the contraption. And um, but the interesting thing is the experiments beyond the page that really allowed us to, to, to take that to the next level. And even, um, so we shot the movie in November, uh, 2019, um, and then in February, 2020, uh, uh, just before the world shut down, we had one day of pickups and, um, there was some big, big issues I had with the final scene. I was really like, I was really worried, uh, cause it's, uh, the technical challenge of that scene is, was always huge. And. And, um, and on the pickup day, we went for, we tried to do something and I came up, I'm very proud of it. I came up with a, with a practical contraption that allowed us to create what happens, uh, not on the person, but like on the, just on a practical level. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but what happens, we had some, um, we were able to, to shoot some, some additional footage that would really sell what happens. And it was something that like luck of the moment of having some materials spare and having a little bit of a light bulb moment, um, that, uh, that, that allowed us to round this up. Um, but cause I would say this movie is about 80% practical and 20% digital enhancement. So, um, uh, I, you know, it's a lot of it is in the camera and, you know, it's down to performances and it's down to moments and it's down to choices. And, um, And, you know, it's the location is not always the way you pictured it and when you write it. So um, so it was interesting to to uh, to once in a while actually challenge the page to do more based on now. Okay, this is our testing uh, ground and we can do something so much more um, without without trying to to overdevelop the scenes. It was just a, a sense of opportunity when it was there.
1: One of the uh, one of the most fascinating parts about the movie, and you mentioned, you know, we're following, we're following the quote unquote villain, which you could take that. I mean, obviously, you're talking about a killer, so you're talking about a villain, but you know, obviously, a very complicated character. And Patrick and I have talked on this show. We've done a couple of reviews for movies where, I, apparently, we're twisted like that. We like following the killer. We like following. Uh, we th- I think about Maniac, the 1980 movie Maniac, which is literally just the entire point of view of a serial killer. It was such a unique take at that time. You really hadn't seen that. But what I loved about Alexis, this character, and and I wanted to ask you about the visuals that go along with this, because I felt, and again, I hope you don't take offense to this, I felt a little bit of Argento in there. I loved some of the visuals. It felt like an Argento moment. But there's so you, much emotion. You have, a, you have
2: a weird sense of what, what could be offensive. You mentioned Fred Reznor and Argento. I'm, I,
1: how, how can I be offended by any of this? <laughs> but uh, there were some, the, with Alexis because w- w- the emotion she's dealing with, and then you see it, you hear it, and then you also see it visually, and so much of it is nonverbal but it still gets pointed across. Like you see the trauma she dealt with as a child. You see that like the, the tragedy, but then you also see the fear in her eyes with her hearing, which is displayed so prominently because audio is her life. And to see that going away is terrifying. And then you see in other parts when she gets into kind of the gratification of what she's doing to people. Um, and the, the, the joy, which is, really i mean it was really like uh just crazy to see like the way she did that and then there's some like at some points there's almost like a sexual gratification to it like where she kind of goes like there's so many there's so many different levels she goes into it and so much of it is just based upon jasmine's performance and then the visuals and the audio is going together it's just so i just i enjoyed so much with like the scene and again i'm not spoiling anything uh, in the sound booth when she's just like, no, no, no keep going, keep going. And she's got the theremin. And I was just like, this was such a cool effect because so much of it was nonverbal. But you see her go through these like wave of emotions and you kind of feel everything she's feeling.
2: And that's, that's again, a, a testament to the talent of Jasmine. She can act just with her eyes and put you into the situation. We actually shot a few scenes where we, we took out all the lines and she just, did, we did, uh, we did silent takes. Um, and she's able to bring that energy, and she has that that ability to just be um, on screen and, and put you through an emotional <laughs> roller coaster. It's I, listen, I again, that's that's what um, the page hopes for, but the casting delivers is to be able to actually go through those moments when we are really focusing on, there's almost two things happening on all those scenes. There's what is happening to jet, to Alexis and then there's what's what happening to the victim. And there's a detachment. She never looks at them, for example. So we this is where we create this environment where we are focused really on her emotional journey in those moments you mentioned the hearing loss. And again, we had to be, to make sure that we, in the proximity that we developed by following her, we wanted to keep the audience that thinks So we, that's what we really went for, um, to make them feel the hearing loss. All those things are, 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 a very um, carefully crafted um, set of layers to, to, Unsettle the audience and make them feel like those murders are just a different journey altogether for Alexis Um, and everything you mentioned, all the all the emotional um, ups and downs that you mentioned are there and having an actress of the the quality of Jasmine is what allows to 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 have those moments fly out of the screen. And you mentioned the, the studio booth or, you know, even in the in the factory early on, you see the 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 personal journey. (laughs) <laughs> that she's going through uh as she progresses through her gruesome experiment and and where it leads um and then we we live with her afterwards in her when she goes back to her normal life to still feel what how does it ripple um yeah i i think i think the emotional journey is is you know obviously i'm i'm i had a lot of fun with the grandiose nature of the gore and the and the gruesome but i do think that the emotional journey um um is what anchors it to not be torture porn, because I just didn't want it to be torture porn. I I didn't want it to be senseless, um, and so I, I I'm I I tried to craft a, an emotionally uh, invested character, and uh, and yeah, and Jasmine took it there.
1: Well, like you said, uh, there's plenty of gruesome. Again, I'll say two words for anyone watching: sound of violence, the harp the harp it's gonna haunt me i'm telling you alex it's gonna haunt me for days like last night i was like rubbing my fingers together i'm not ruining it but oh man that was a good one you got me with that one that was uh that was one where i was i was cringing watching it that was the the up close shots the way you shot that i was just like "Mm, yeah i can't can't watch this one right now this is gonna hurt this is not gonna feel good
2: (laughs) uh sorry not sorry (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's effective well that's what I loved about it because and, and I and I go back to this you know in, in, in the in the overarching point of our interview um I love originality Patrick will tell you like I I love originality I love when when films can surprise me uh I've seen so many films and I've seen so many horror films that and I and I love I love I don't I don't mind when one film is similar to another that doesn't bother me at all but when I think about Get Out yeah, I think about what Jordan Peele did with Get Out, which was such a unique take. I think about a film we both loved from last year, Wolf of Snow Hollow from Jim Cummings. That was such a unique uh, take on like a horror comedy. And Sound of Violence is so unique because I have never seen this particular approach to using audio in that way. You said using a drum machine to kill a person, but using audio in this way in a horror movie... Uh, because we've talked about scores on this show, like how important a score is. You know, you think about John Carpenter, some of the great scores in horror history. But to use that as another element in the story, it was, again, so creative and so original. Um, I'd never seen anything like that before. And I just, I applaud that because it's hard. Thank you so much. It's hard to be original in horror. Let's be honest, because there's only so many, you know, you, there's only so many ways to kill a person. You know what I mean? But like the fact that you did find something original really speaks to the authenticity of this piece.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I mean, it's, um, I don't even know what to answer to that, except thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, I mean, to, to all that point, I think that uh, w- what we're doing here is we, you know, Alex is an emerging filmmaker, right? This is his first feature film. We were excited to talk to somebody who's just getting their their, their feet wet in the feature territory. And of course, with horror, Rewind of the Living Dead uh, uh, wants to champion filmmakers. We're so excited to have you and we're encouraging everybody to go check out sound of violence it's available everywhere on demand at, as of this recording
2: yeah right? and anywhere you can buy or rent a, a a film it should be there
1: now you said obviously you are a horror fan and you are going to move into other genres and do other things as you mentioned doing documentaries will you will you eventually come back to horror though we hope Oh no, I'm not moving away
2: from horror yet. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm everything I'm working on right now is horror. Uh, I'm just saying that I never say never. That maybe in the future there might be something different. But um, but uh, um, no, right now my focus is definitely uh, in the genre, and and uh, I'm writing a couple of pieces that are, um, yeah, that are different. I'm actually writing my first uh, supernatural story. A lot of my stories are, tend to be quite. You know, they 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 might have some. They, they might be quite out there, like like this movie, but they're not involving supernatural forces. But this time, I'm writing one that is a little bit out of my comfort zone and tapping into my Nordic um, origins. So it's um, I'm having fun. I uh, no, I'm I'm not I'm not leaving the genre anytime soon. That's, I, uh, uh, I, that's good. I, to hear. I just <laughs> thank you. No, no, I just uh, it's um, I'm just getting started. Uh, I feel um, I feel that this this was I, I needed something to start, which allowed me a certain creative freedom and to go out there. And um, and then I have a few other uh, stories I'm really keen to tell uh, in a not too distant future.
1: Absolutely. Well, keep up the great work. Like I said, Sound of Violence is available everywhere right now. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for doing this. It was an incredible film, an incredible cast as i mentioned i love jasmine i love uh lily simmons james james jagger the whole cast like i I was familiar with everybody because i watched them all on different shows that i enjoyed so that was the cast was amazing uh the direction was great the music was great so congratulations on on the film Uh, we look forward to hearing all the feedback and thank you so much for doing this we really really do appreciate it
2: this was great fun thanks for having
1: me absolutely talk to you soon okay take care all right bye-bye